You are listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. The following conversation is the faith journey of Reverend Peggy Jean Craig, the senior pastor of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church of Germantown. She currently serves on the boards of Volunteer Odyssey, Memphis' one-stop shop for meaningful volunteer experiences. She also serves on the Metropolitan Interfaith Association, an organization supporting independence of vulnerable seniors and families. And she is on the board of Room in the Inn, an organization that shelters those experiencing homelessness in a safe environment of hospitality. Enjoy my conversation with Peggy Jean Craig. Peggy Jean, we were talking off mic about parenting and having beautiful children and raising beautiful children. What is the most rewarding aspect of being a parent for you? Gosh, um, you're starting out with the easy questions, right? right. Uh, I feel like <laughs> my daughters are going to listen back to this. And um, <laughs> mom, why should you say that? Uh, <laughs> uh, so the pressure is on. Um, I, I don't have anything profound to say as far as rewarding, but just to see. Um, I think there's like it's a, a country song, you know, just to see you smile. Um, do you know that country song? Have you? No, no. See you smile. I do anything. Do you know that? No, no nothing. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not from. I, I'm aware of that genre of music, but I I, I don't keep up with it. <laughs> oh it, well, it was about twenty twenty five years ago that, that song came out. So. Um, <laughs> you, did you know? know did you notice how I tried to be very professional in my response of of saying? <laughs> um, it was a long way of saying, I don't listen to country music, so I'm yeah. unaware of that well, song. Well, I don't really either, but, um, you know, I did grow up in Alabama, in rural <laughs> Alabama, so I had to do something to fit in in high school. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it was probably not for, I, mean, I already had my true love weights ring, so I had to do something else, just up the ante. Okay. <laughs> that got me really into the cl- club, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, no, I just think that, uh, seeing them smile or laugh or them trying to make you smile or laugh, like that's the best thing. I mean, those little, I mean, is there anything better than those little things are in the morning right now? Um, when they get up at like four thirty, four five, <laughs> uh, we go into, we have a play, uh, we call it a lounge, not a playpen. Or, you know, which is quite a lounge. It's a lot more positive that way. Uh, we go into this huge playpen, play lounge, and uh, we lay down, and they're usually still kind of sleepy, but not willing to go back to sleep, which is why we have to take them out of the room that their sister is in. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we just lay and our faces are right beside each other and they really enjoy touching our your nose right now so they touch your nose your face and it'll say nose 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 over and over and there's something so sweet about that until they start digging up into your nose and (laughs) hurting and the little nails are so sharp um uh, but i i have wounds in um, places on my face and inside my face that i've never knew it was possible uh but those i think those little moments are the things that are most rewarding the curiosity always amazes me i hope i haven't lost as i get older that that desire to to learn more through touch through the voice through those early morning hours of being half awake half asleep there's something where, and that safety element for the child with its parent or guardian of, of having that freedom to explore. And as I age, just being a witness to it is, is rewarding in and of itself. And especially when they're younger, well, no, nah, they can even be adults. And where they try to make you laugh as their parent it's fantastic, you know, and especially when it bombs, you know, it's like, yeah. that's not funny, but I appreciate the effort, which makes it funny. <laughs> yeah. Let's continue our theme on parenting and in terms of relationship, I know one of the attributes that, that we attribute to God is, um, you know, as a parent. What do you think God thinks of us in terms of a creation and the beauty that we have in the messiness and the contradictions that we live through? What do you think God thinks about us? All of your questions are so difficult. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I usually have enough... uh, trouble just thinking about what I think of things um, before I even get to what God thinks of something. Um, And God's ways are not my ways and God's thoughts are not my thoughts. But um, maybe, uh, maybe just thinking back to this, like the, the word relationship that you used, um, God's steadfast love uh i i don't know i think god probably god's i i think god laughs a lot i think god <laughs> is and i think god must be much funnier than um i ever could be um i think god rejoices in um in our play in our laughter in our hope um in moments when we let the stuff that does not matter go and connect with other people and with the earth, uh, when we see our own interconnectedness with 
neighbor, with stranger, with immigrant, with widow, with someone living on the streets, if we can, if we can hold someone's hand or give someone a hug or even give someone a kiss, all those, like those moments, I think that God rejoices in and God is present in, um, or, or lay in the grass, you know, like, or get our hands dirty and pick the dirt out of our fingernails. I think those are moments, um, because our God is an incarnate God and that, which is so different from, um, uh, other other gods um i think that god rejoices in our humanity and in our messiness but i also think god's heart must break too um i mean i think about um so our twin girls were born on december 13th and they were in the nicu for a while and joji the the one who's three minutes older, she came home first. And then Luca came home a few days afterwards. And then uh, she came home maybe on December 23rd. December 24th, she was having trouble eating. And it also seemed like she was having trouble breathing. And she was barely four pounds. That's how she got to come home is she made it to four pounds. And we had to rush her to the hospital that she had not been at. <laughs> um um, to a closer hospital to Le Bonner and, um, and I was not with her. Matt was with her and I was with Joji and it was so hard on Christmas Eve being their first Christmas, they're being uh, apart from each other and having, um, her back in the hospital after she had experienced so much kind of trauma her first few days of life. Um, and I just think about, how I felt in those moments and how God must feel when God's children are hurting. And when God's creation is hurting, I also, you know, certainly think about the earth and the land. And of course, how that affects when, when, when creation is hurting, when the land is hurting, that always affects the people who are most vulnerable first. Um, and so when we, find ways to share life and to encourage one another and to give life to each other, whether it be through just touch, like hand, holding hands or singing a song together, or whether it is through sharing food and clean water and electricity and access to education, I think God rejoices. And I think God's heart breaks when any of God's creation is um, hurting because I've only experienced like a little tiny bit of that, but um, I know that whatever God's emotions must be compounded. I assume God's pretty dramatic. <laughs> when did you first become aware of the existence of God? Or I can ask that question in a different way. When were the beginnings of a relationship with God? Um, I think that some of that's really hard for me to tease out because of where I grew up and who I grew up around and who was in my life. Um, we, when I was really young, um, up through maybe, maybe kindergarten or maybe four or five years old, 
we went to, I guess it was a Christian church. So I guess it was disciples of Christ. Um, and I remember our pastor there was the only thing I remember about him is that he was a magician and he came and um, did magic tricks at my birthday at my parents' house. Um, so um, that's when maybe I knew magic was real, but I don't know about God. Um, um, but then uh, that's, somewhere that's in there. That's uh, hilarious. Tricks in theology. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, uh, probably maybe uh, first grade, first or second grade, we started going to a Cumberland Presbyterian church because my dad had been really good friends and uh, really good friends when he was younger with uh, our pastor, Pat Driscoll. And our families were really close. And um I spent a whole lot of time around their family and I, it was this, you know, it wasn't like this moment. It was just this uh, living life together. I can remember um, going hiking, going to the mountains with the Driscolls. I can remember um, making the way they made macaroni and cheese was so different than the way my family made macaroni <laughs> and cheese. Um, yeah, and ours was out of the box. They put cheddar in. And I remember thinking, I like it from the box better because the cheddar was like more stringy. But like, those, I mean, those don't seem like God moments, but those are so somehow it's, I think I was learning what it means to live a life of faith together um, and that God is present and moving among us and within us and all of the mundane little things. And so then, of course, I also remember um, some people will really not like this, but um, that Pat's daughter, Christine, and I, after communion, we always looked forward to communion Sundays because you got to have that really good bread afterwards that we were just stuffing into our mouths. And so I learned about the abundance and the provision and the grace of God in a way that was really tactile, in a way that was really incarnate um, and that didn't stop at a worship service or didn't happen only between 11 and 12 um, and didn't stop at the sanctuary walls. I learned uh I, I saw table blessings happen where pe where people who were not ordained or who never wore any kind of special kind of clothes would pass me bread and I would get to take that and and somehow connect that to communion in a in a holy w h o l l y different <laughs> way that was also sacred. Um and so I know that's not maybe answering any of your questions, but it was it was through growing up, through being raised among people who loved each other deeply and who loved God, but that the, the image of God was so present in them that it, it was it never it certainly never came from a, like a Sunday school class. And not that that I mean I think Christian education <laughs> is important, but it never came from a Sunday school class or from even a sermon, even though we had really wonderful preaching, it came from a life together. Um what you laugh at it at that life together or that not no, I, I'm laughing at you backpedaling as soon as you spoke what? it. You were like, no, I didn't mean it that way about Sunday school or sermons. <laughs> They're all good, but I mean, come on, they're contributing to like this larger thing that we're doing <laughs> together. And um, actually, I think they can be detrimental when we we become too kind of legalistic or bureaucratic or uh, think that those structures and frameworks are the only thing, that those are the faith. Those are not the faith. The faith is 
this stuff that never ends um, that we have uh, day in and day out together. Peggy Jean, um, not everyone has been raised in the type of environment that you had, or they haven't had the same experiences with Christians and the community of faith in general. What words of encouragement or advice would you share with somebody who's not faith connected, who hasn't had the deep roots and the cherished experiences that you've had in childhood and youth and even in adulthood, for them to be drawn to this community? Um, for them to be drawn to this community is maybe a little different than to be drawn to the faith, but um, to be drawn to this community, I, I think about, I can't speak about other people's communities, but I can maybe speak about our own. There are not many places that I know of, especially in the U.S., where I can um, talk about how heartbroken I am that someone is hurting or that uh, someone I love who has died, but also make a really bad joke and um, hear about what's going on in someone's life or how their scarf, how their knitting of their scarf is going or see their progress on what they're writing um, of all different ages than in the church. I don't, I, I don't think in any other context of how I had, had close relationships with people who are in their nine, 80s and 90s and who I say I love you to, especially that I'm not related to. And, mm. and for me, even um, I don't have uh, living grandparents and so um, not not biological living grandparents. And so um, having people around me, elders who are hilarious, uh, who doubt, who have questions, um, uh, who are encouraging those that doesn't happen everywhere there. And, and that happens in the church. And, um, I, but maybe this is not an advertisement for the church, but I was thinking recently about the most, uh, like some of the most important faith formation experiences I've had and, uh, places where I felt very kind of uh, vividly the spirit of God. And I realized that most of those experiences and two stand out for me very uh, distinctly right now. One just happened last week, um, have happened around food, around a dinner table and have happened in places that were very not fancy and who places that either did not have a budget or, um, uh, you know, just were, some didn't even have floors. Um, <laughs> and, and before you share, I want to hear these two stories, but let's give some context. You sent me your bio and it says, um, Peggy Jean is passionate about justice, diversity, equity, and all things food related. <laughs> so that was going to be one of my questions. So this is great. I don't have to ask it. Go ahead. 
Well, I am very picky about food. That's a different kind of question. And I don't know how much faith is in there, honestly, how much <laughs> of, of um, certainly not how much grace is in there. I am not, not very grace filled when it comes to good food. I'm very particular and very critical. Um, the meals were not outstanding, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the experiences were. <laughs> All right. I interrupted um, you. So go ahead. Now I feel bad because I feel like if anyone hears this, they're going to think that I don't like these kinds of foods. Um, <laughs> well, one was so one was last week and I even talked about it on Sunday. Um, you know that last week uh, I had a friend in town from South Sudan uh, who is an Episcopal bishop in uh, the South Sudanese church. And um, we... I was taking around to see different people. And on Monday, we met a woman named Mama Ruth, who is also South Sudanese. And she started the refugee empowerment program here in uh, Memphis. And uh, it mostly helps, uh, mostly does after school programming and um, then helps uh, families with the immigration process. So they may be refugees, but uh, getting here, um, making sure they're doing everything that they need to do, filling out all the paperwork, but also just kind of getting acclimated to an American context. Um, so we met her on Monday and um, I I just thought I was doing a good job by connecting to South Sudanese people. Uh, but then I, I got in the room because I thought, you know, okay, well, neat that they're both here. Maybe they want to meet, talk. Um, and we got in the room with uh, Mama Ruth and Cam, who is the executive director of uh, the Refugee Empowerment Program. And Cam kind of looked at us and said, well, this is your meeting. What did you want to meet about? And she actually looked at me and I had, I had no idea what I should be talking about. And uh, thankfully Joseph started talking and he talked about the church in South Sudan and some of the issues, the, the needs around um, pastors training and um, primary and secondary education and access to clean water. And then Mama Ruth spoke up and it's like, it's like he didn't say anything at all because she did not really respond to any of those needs or police plea or his plea for support. She just started kind of preaching. That's the only way I can describe it. And she um, has a high school education, but so no formal theological education, but she started preaching and we just kind of took it all in because you don't, when something like that's happening, you can't, there's nothing you can do, but just receive it. I guess. Um, and after she finished preaching, we just said our goodbyes and took a picture and went home because I, that was the end of the meeting at that point. Uh, and I thought that was the end of our connection. But on Tuesday, Mama Ruth called the church building and, um, and um, left a message and I got in touch with her. And uh, when I uh, got a hold of her. She said, I want you and Joseph to come and eat on Thursday night. Joseph was leaving on Friday morning and she said, so I want y'all to come. He's come so far. Um, so I want you, you both to come over. And on Thursday night, we had a lot going on and we just talked about bedtime routines offline. Um, mm. Bedtime routines end around 7.30. So around 8 o'clock, we pulled up to an apartment building in East Memphis, Joseph and I, and we walked into this pretty small apartment, wall-to-wall um, -wall carpet, um, kind of a, 
uh, eggshell yellowish walls, a yellow uh, light, um, two, two uh, love seats in the living room that were touching that filled up much most of the living room. And then right adjacent to the living room was the dining room. And Mama Ruth had a, a beautiful kind of beige off-white tablecloth on the table. It was a long table, one of those like rectangle, like oval tables. And uh, then she had a plastic tablecloth over that, a clear one, you know, because so you could see the beautiful tablecloth underneath it. <laughs> and um, there were chairs all around and there were, um, there was another pastor, a Sudanese pastor. So he was from the northern part of Sudan, not South Sudan, actually the part that had been continually uh, that had been at war with that was what has now become South Sudan for 40 years. And uh, a pastor and his wife, and then another man from South Sudan and Mama Ruth. And um, the table was absolutely filled. There were three different kinds of meat on the table. There was uh, a beef stew that was cooked in like peanut butter and spinach. There was a grilled fish. And then there was um, chicken, chicken legs that were all in um, like uh, sauteed or slow cooked maybe in um, vegetables. And then there were vegetables and rice and samosas and chickpea, some chickpea or white bean thing. And um so a lot of food and we all sat down and um, started putting food on our plates. And then a conversation ensued without me and everyone started talking about the different refugee camps they had been in. And that's how they were kind of connecting each other's stories is I was in this refugee camp in Ethiopia. I had to flee after the war broke out. So I went to Northern Kenya to Kakama uh, refugee camp. And then somebody else would say, oh, you were in Kakama. What year were you in Kakama? And I was there just the year before, you know, and, and so it's just a weird thing to hear people who's much of their lives has been in war and that they are all from somehow this what used to be the same country and yet uh, they know each other by where they have been displaced um like that's just a really interesting conversation and of course like so much of my mind floods back to what we hear in the hebrew bible about god's people being displaced so much and then returning to places that are not what they once were um but but after that kind of that conversation uh, started to die down, Mama Ruth uh, spoke up and she started preaching again. And she <laughs> said something like, um, we, there, there is no, we, we need to kind of stop having these divisions. There is no Sudanese and South Sudanese or American. All these divisions are not, uh, the, these should not be differences are not divisions instead they are gifts they are in, individual gifts from God and when they are brought together they should be celebrated and that we 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 need to receive that from one another and she said I love everybody I love every single person and we need to just love each other and appreciate and share and come to the table and listen and learn and and then after she stopped preaching the the South Sudanese guys started preaching. And by the way, there were three pastors at the table. I, I was there. The Sudanese pastor was there. And then Joseph, who's a bishop, was there. But it was the two people who were not ordained who were doing the preaching. <laughs> and 
And then, um, then the, um, at the end of the dinner, we prayed, the people who were ordained prayed. <laughs> um, so uh, I prayed and then uh, Reverend Ishmael, who is the Sudanese pastor prayed, and then Joseph prayed. And then um, these folks who had never met this South Sudanese man, one of them who was from Sudan and not South Sudan, um, before they had ever met him or even heard about him, they they gathered this money, the little money they had together. And so at the end of the dinner, they presented it to him. The Sudanese pastor presented it to the South Sudanese pastor as a gift. And it was a significant monetary gift to be used, not for all these other ministries, but for his children. And there was something about the whole dinner that was spirit-filled. Um, I was trying to talk to my husband, Matt, about it afterwards. And he said, you know, some people, I was explaining Mama Ruth has uh, just a high school education. And he said, well, you know, some people are just really smart. And I said, no, this is, she, I, I said, she does sound, I do think she's really, really smart, but she, I don't know any other way to describe it, but just the, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon her to preach good news. Mm. And I really believe that. And all of the times that I have experienced that and the, the other time I experienced that pretty strongly was um, when I couldn't understand the words that were being said. Um, it was, and I've, I've written about this and preached about this. Uh, it was in Laos when I was, a well, no, I wasn't a missionary. It was in Laos when I was not a missionary. Um, and I had gone to this village and the chief had invited me in. I was working in kind of humanitarian aid for a summer. And he invited me to his house for dinner. And he invited the whole village over. And his his uh, house was, had a dirt floor and there was no there was no dining room table. We just all sat on the floor in a big circle and there were all these plates in the middle and no one had a plate of their own, which is a sermon right there. And um, and um, maybe speaking to our own interdependence, I don't even think I got to feed myself that night. People were stuffing things in my <laughs> mouth, even things I did not want put in my mouth. Um, but there was just this sense of love and joy and 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 care for neighbor and especially for stranger. And in the middle of the dinner, um, the chief, he he turns around and he starts trying to get something in his uh, house. He's kind of digging through his house and he pulls out this bottle of Lao whiskey. Um, looks like it was made locally, <laughs> no, no labels. Um, and everybody gets silent and he, he gets a shot glass. And, um, he pours it and he passes it to the person next to him and they drink it. And then he takes it back and he pours it again. And he keeps doing that until everyone in that circle, everyone who is gathered there, there were no children there, by the way, I guess I should say, um, <laughs> uh, got a taste or a shot uh, of the most precious thing that he owned. And this man would have never called himself Christian certainly not Cumberland Presbyterian, uh, but I'm sure if he ever becomes Christian, he'll be Cumberland Presbyterian. Um, <laughs> we have never called himself Christian, but I could not think of anything more Christ-like. Uh, I mean, it is what we, I mean, it is almost the closest thing to what we do um, the first Sunday of every month uh, than anything I've experienced um, 
outside of the church. And so, in some ways, it's even more close. It's closer. It's real alcohol. Um, <laughs> but um, he passed it and made sure everyone got a taste of everything, of, of the best thing that he owned, the most expensive thing, the most precious thing. Um, and that kind of sharing and pouring out of yourself, not just for people who you have responsibility over and who you have seen grow up and live in a village with, but someone who's a stranger you can't even really communicate with. Um, that type of love is, I think, what people are attracted to about the church and certainly about Jesus. Um, and so maybe if we can focus more on that, um, and I have to remind myself to stop focusing on whether the food is done exactly to my liking, but focus on more meals like that. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that's a something that speaks to the future of the church. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it could. <laughs> I, w I wonder if that self-reflection of encounters with other people, sometimes we can feel the presence of God and then other times it's in retrospect. I wonder if we could look forward to future encounters with an anticipation of knowing that we will experience God in some form or fashion through another person mm -hmm. and how much that would transform the world mm -hmm. and change the way that we interact, change the way that we speak, even the way we carry ourselves. Cause I think it would change our demeanors in, in the sense that we're always in a posture of anticipating something new and beautiful and loving. It would make us change the way that we approached work and meetings and doctor's appointments and school. It would really change the world if we did that. I'm thinking out loud. I mean, what if we really believe that everyone, every single person uh, that we encountered, whether we voted the same way as them, whether we went to the same church as them, whether they went to church or we in, uh, or not, uh, whether they spoke the same language, whether we thought they should be here or not, what if we really believed that they were image bearers of God? Yeah. And it wasn't just a thing that we said, but that it, they really were made in the image and likeness of God. What, what if we really believed that they were a child of God? And not only in other individuals, which I believe we need to do more, but in every experience that God is in that experience and anticipate that, go into that experience knowing, I think it would really. I don't know, it would change perspective in times of when you're anticipating something that may cause anxiety or dread or anger or upcoming loss or whatever it may be. I think it would, I think it would really affect how we look towards the future. You sound like a Jesuit, God in all things. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's not a bad thing. no. Oh, no it's, it's interesting that 
these close encounters with God are food-related, food and drink-related, in some form or fashion. How did you experience a call into ministry? Because you've done, you know, in your education and in your past work experience, you've done all kinds of community-minded activities uh, in the church, outside the church, in the different cities and towns that you've worked in. When did ministry kind of come into the horizon for your vocation? Um, not at 14, like you, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, I mentioned that pastor, Pat Driscoll, um, I had been living in Nashville, well, in Brentwood, um, and I was out of college. I was working in advertising sales, but I was going, uh, back to Alabama a lot where I grew up and meeting with him some and um he and i met at um in rogersville alabama there used to be no place to meet except for the mcdonald's <laughs> so we met at <laughs> and, uh, mcdonald's is not necessarily my food place of choice but um <laughs> pat and i were meeting at mcdonald's and uh he said i see gifts for ministry in you and in the McDonald's in the middle of the small town in Rogersville, which they all, that's all they have. So everybody goes there mm-hmm. or that's all they did have. I just started crying and, you know, bawling because um, I felt like I knew, I was afraid I knew what that meant. I felt like it meant all these um, constraints on me and my life and what, <laughs> what I had hoped for. <laughs> and I imagined that I would only be able to wear like long button down blue jean skirts and have my hair like long and braided. Cause that's what I thought of women in ministry. I guess. I don't know. Well, um, uh, I, yeah, I, why, why those thoughts? Well, have I think I'm inc- thinking specifically of like missionaries maybe. And I, I don't know, like very, I thought no makeup, you know, a very covered, <laughs> no pants. <laughs> I don't know. I know that's not my experience at the Cumberland Presbyterian Church at all, but somehow that was the image that that came into my mind is very, you know, modest and very pure. <laughs> <laughs> had you, pr- prior to this conversation with Pat, had you had any encounters with women in ministry or, or was um, that, was that your foundation? And that's why it went there to the, <laughs> to the very modest trust. Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't guess, I don't actually, I mean, I I'm thinking about at what point, so Susan Parker was part of our church. Um, and, uh, but she didn't, she was not ordained until later. Um, and Pam Phillips Burke was at, a at, probably sometime around maybe within five, 10 years, that time she was in the church. She was at the church in Madison, just thinking about other women who would have been around. Um, But I guess I actually hadn't met any of those. So maybe or encountered them. And so I I guess I just, uh, I don't know why that was the image. I, and I also felt kind of more called to, I thought maybe mission work. And so I then really did think about missionaries and I thought you had to be really modest like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and, um, anyway, I started crying in McDonald's and I'm sure everyone thought I was, 
was really worried. Why is this young woman sitting with this man and what's he doing to make her cry? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but a, a few weeks went by and um, at some point I said, okay, you know, I think I want to explore this idea of, of mission, especially. Um, and so then I went as a short-term missionary for six months to Laos uh, and on and lived in community with uh, Koreans and Laotians and Cambodians and sometimes Vietnamese and Chinese folks uh, all in the same house. Kind of the church was also the house, was also work. Um, and on Friday nights, we had prayer. And not probably not like all Cumberland Presbyterian prayers. Um, these were a couple hours long on Friday nights. And the routine was I went to the International University. That's where I learned to drive stick is in Laos. And I would pick up all the Cambodian college boys. I'm sure like the faculty of this university thought, who is this girl? Uh, <laughs> Because I was also in my early 20s and I was doing this. So they all loaded up <laughs> in the back of this, I guess you'd call it like a jitney. And I would drive back to the church. I'm sure they did not think we were coming to the church. And they stayed the whole weekend and I'd drop them back off on Monday. Oh, <laughs> oh no. You can not really... look good at all. Yeah. Not setting a good. And, and right across the, it said Cumberland Presbyterian Church, right across the vehicle. I'm kidding. It didn't, it didn't actually say that. Um, so anyway, I, I, we, I took them back to the church slash our home and we would eat together and then we'd have worship. And then that would move into a very long time of prayer. And you would be on the floor, usually in a kneeling position. Everyone had their own. Sometimes you would have your own pillows just because it was hard to sit on the floor on your knees for hours at a time. And there would be usually some type of worship music playing softly in the background and everyone is praying out loud in their own different languages. Some people are silent for a little while, but, and it was during um, one of those Friday night prayer times uh, that I was probably just sitting silently because at some point you just, there's not much, there's only so much you can say. Um, and um I heard this voice from, I don't know, I, in my head or was the Holy Spirit or something uh, that said, do you love me? And I said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then I heard it again. I said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then again, and, and so much so that um, I left prayer early because it was like I was trying to, I just needed to move from that position um and my room that I was that I slept in was upstairs so I went upstairs and started writing in my journal um uh, but uh, basically I heard then feed my sheep and um I had planned like the six months was kind of going to be the the deal I'd give God the six months um uh give it kind of my all and then I would come back to the U.S. and do my own thing I had plans for a different kind of career and <laughs> vocation um and um that kind of was it I came back from there and I had planned I'd gone to college in New York and so I'd planned to go to go back for my master's in New York but I 
um, instead stayed in Rogersville, Alabama and taught preschool at our church and uh, or tried to teach preschool and was a pastoral assistant. I'm not, I don't still don't know really what that was, but it usually meant that I played phase 10 with folks who were homebound and prayed with folks and um, did whatever Pat told me to do and um, started seminary the next year. Hmm. I know that you need to leave here in a few minutes when we have to close this conversation. I like asking guests about um, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Apparently you listen to country music. But. Oh, no, I told you I listened to, uh, to, uh, to only to toddler time right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You're, you're stream- I'm, I'm reading if I were a puppy, if I were a kitty, um, my <laughs> tail would be furry. I can quote you almost any uh, children's book. Uh, so the books, the books you're currently reading from each page is made with very thick cardboard material. Oh, yes, that has been chewed on. There are pieces of it gone. I'm usually having to fish it out of a baby's mouth and get my finger bitten and, um, and, uh, talk. Uh, um, I, those really are right now most of what I am listening to and reading. Fortunately or unfortunately, there are some good lessons, you know, in all those. Uh, and most of the books, I, some of those nursery rhymes, I think were written at strange times and uh, are a little bit concerning. But. Not, o- not only are they good books, but they also have illustrations to go along with them, you know, yes. of how to how yes. to be kind, how to oh, share. Yes. Yeah. No, they they are um, they are wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't get to do as much reading as I would like to do, but what I, uh, I, I do try to listen to a few things, um, when I can, um, uh, there is the poetry Padraig Otuma, uh, poetry podcast that I listen to, um, which I feel like it's really life-giving and when I have time to read and because it is usually small amounts of time that is not consecutive minutes even together um it's i usually try to go back to poetry that i um um love and helps me to return to myself and to place and to neighbor um yeah what do you look for in poetry you know it is it freestyle is it what is the prose like? Um, I usually end up. I'm. I'm really. I really love uh, poetry that is about creation and about nature and about uh, noticing. Um, so Mary Oliver, Wendell Berry, all those kind of typical books. But then I also really love um, good spoken word um, that helps me connect people's uh, personal experience, their own identity or um, kind of questions about who they are with um, with history, with lament, and with rejoicing. Mm. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but. <laughs> well, I would love to have a longer conversation with you, but 
time of a, is of essence, especially when you have two smaller little people who rule your life and your schedule. They do. <laughs> I enjoy getting to know you a bit better, Peggy Jean, and you made me laugh, and <laughs> I appreciate your authenticity and your storytelling ability in your faith journey. I'm sorry if I carried on too long. I know I just kind of, you ask a question and I made it, made it into my own questions and just responded <laughs> how I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it your way. <laughs> like the reverse of Burger King. Yeah, right. <laughs> Through the spoken word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy Jean. Thank you so much, TJ. It was uh, great getting to spend time with you. And I really enjoyed our conversation before we started recording about family and how most my life is basically over now. <laughs> no, just beginning. <laughs> it just has more people in it now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Faith Conversation of Cumberland Road. To support this podcast, subscribe, follow, and share with others. There are over 100 guests to listen to and more to come. And now, let me leave you with a Mary Oliver poem entitled, What is the Greatest Gift? What is the greatest gift? Could it be the world itself, the oceans, the meadowlark? The patience of the trees in the wind? Could it be love with its sweet clamor of passion? Something else, something else entirely holds me in thrall. That you have a life that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. That you have a life, courteous, intelligent, that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. That you have a soul, your own, no one else's, that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. So that I find my soul clapping its hands for yours more than my own. <laughs>